Welcome to the Magic Valley Bible Church Sermon Podcast. Magic Valley Bible Church has been serving the Magic Valley for 20 years and is located at the corner of Gooding and Main Street in downtown Twin Falls, Idaho. Our service starts at 9 a.m. and is streamed live on our YouTube channel. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.mvbibletf.org or Facebook at facebook.com slash mvbible or YouTube at youtube.com slash mvbible. Magic Valley Bible Church, built on God's Word. Greatly concerned. Um, Tree woke up this morning, not feeling well, so that meant the dad had to take care of the kids. And I don't know where Tatum's at. <laughs> Is she upstairs? Oh mercy! <laughs> I need your help. I got to be able to get these kids back home. <laughs> so make sure no, she hasn't run out the door. Um, we do have a baby as well, and I think he's some. <laughs> <laughs> This is the joy of being a dad and, and reawakening your soul to some responsibilities that you thought you didn't have. Uh, but what a joy it's been to have them in our home and opportunities to love on them. Um, but if you see a little girl and she tugs on you, that's probably mine. So um, please help me with that. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, again, we thank you for the morning and for the joy it is to come to your word. Father, we are blessed to to be able to sit underneath the the revealed written word of God without hindrance. And we desire for the Spirit to to use the word to teach us. We desire to to walk in your ways, not only to be understanding of this great salvation, but have this salvation affect how I live and how we live not only individually, but corporately as a church. Father, we desire to be holy as you are holy. And as we come to your word, we we ask again that you would use your word and the spirit of God to teach us and to help your servant. And even as we go to the Lord's table, Father, that we would do that with delight and with praise and with hope. And so we ask that you take our time and mold us and make us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. If you haven't already, turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 1. We're towards the end of this, this chapter, and it's been very impactful as, as Mark's been, been telling us uh, the onset of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He has been showing us how Jesus has been moving around in his public ministry, and we come to this last five verses, six verses here in Mark's first chapter. And I want to read our passage for us this morning, and the title of today's sermon is The Compassion and the Concentration of Jesus. Starting in verse 40, the narrative reads this, it says, And a leopard came to Jesus, beseeching him. And falling on his knees before him and saying, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Moved with compassion, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. Immediately the leprosy left him 
and he was cleansed. And he sternly warned him and immediately sent him away. And he said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded as a testimony to them. But he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the news around to such an extent that Jesus could no longer publicly enter a city, but stayed out in unpopulated areas. And they were coming to him from everywhere. Again, we, this morning we come to a, a remarkable event in the life of Christ. This was a common place for him. People were drawn to him. He showed his divine power, and he spoke divine truth. All of this was in the redeeming eternal plan of God as it fleshes out in the Messiah. Again, Jesus is fixed on the purpose of going to the cross. He's fixed on atoning for sinners and their sin. And often is the case, as we go out throughout this gospel, Jesus heals people. He performs miraculous events in front of people so as to draw their attention to the fact that he is the Messiah, that he is the Son of God. But that wasn't his own sole desire. Jesus didn't come to have a healing ministry. Jesus came to have a redemptive ministry. Not just the physical, yes, and, and that was a blessing of uh, the fact as the people came, but he didn't come necessarily for the physical healing. He came for a heart healing, a, a spiritual healing to die for sinners and to reconcile them. Now, when it comes to his physical healing, often we see he immediately would, would touch or he would speak things out of existence, whatever was, was affecting the individual. And of course, the miracle changed the person's life. And it's remarkable when we think about this. This leper is no exception. He finds his way through the crowd to the feet of Christ. He kneels down, worships, and says, if you're willing... Heal me. I mean, this is a pretty remarkable thing to think about all of this. This leopard, considered disease, considered an outcast, the bottom of society, isolated, separated from the norms of life. Jesus displays his compassion and power and changes the course of of this man's life with a touch. All four Gospels gives us an account of this and, and helps us truly understand what was happening here. But what moves me is the, an understanding that Jesus does this in light of the nature of the life of a leopard. And I think it's only helpful for us to, to really get the full impact out of what Jesus is doing here. That we get some background on leprosy during that time. Before we see the courage of this man being so moved to have his eyes focus on Christ to be his only hope. Now, you may have some idea of leprosy as being a disease that one destroys your flesh 
and two, makes you an outcast. I think that we're familiar with, with at least some of its situational situations, right? In other words, we understand that this is not something that you desired to have. According to Luke chapter 4, verse 27, it tells us that leprosy was common in the days of the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. And there were many, matter of fact, that verse says this, and there were many with leprosy in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. So you have the situation where you have an extreme disease that pretty much just made you an outcast. It's also important to understand that we only have two occasions in the Gospels that Jesus actually heals a leper. It's here in Mark 1 in Luke chapter 17, if you remember, that he heals 10 of them. One of them having a testimony of, of, of the greatness and kindness of what God has done for him. But it's only those two occasions. And I think it's important, however, to understand that that's not the only two he probably healed. I think about John's gospel where it says the books can't contain all the miracles that Jesus has done. And, and so what you have is the gospel writers inspired by God to, to pin the ones that we need to understand the significance of or the movement of. It doesn't make any of the others less important. But it's just to say this, that if there were many lepers, lepers uh, running around, no doubt Jesus healed many maybe that weren't even recorded for us. And so I think it's helpful to, to grasp some of these things. And, and, and trying to understand exactly what the passage is about, right? Not knowing that Jesus heals, that there are, and there are many leopards, and knowing that Jesus heals, right? He, he's healed many of these. We can make the statement, he most likely healed many of them, and, and yet what's recorded for us is only two situations. Now the question is why? Why would Jesus heal a leper? And for that matter, why would he heal anybody if his sole purpose was for the atoning work of his blood on the cross? And I think it's helpful when we go through these things because when we look at Mark, he deals more with the miracles and the reality of them than the teachings or, or what Christ is proclaiming. He is so engaged with the, the, the movement of Christ and, and the fact that he just continually does this in an instant and, and he moves us from miracle to miracle to miracle. And he shows us eventually uh, towards the end of this gospel why he came. And so you have this, this Christ coming, the Messiah coming, and, and he's impacting people. And towards the end of the book, of course, he gets to the whole issue. He heads to the cross and dies and redeems sinners. I think simply put, all these divine healings and miracles was to validate that Jesus is the Messiah. You think he got their attention when he healed a leper? The many miracles that Jesus performed validated what he would say next. It would validate his testimony that he is God and that he has come to, to give his life as a ransom for many. Often the miracles that Jesus performed got the attention of the people, and then Jesus would teach them and eventually would tell them, I'm going to lay down my life for you. And when it came to leprosy, this was very profound. 
as we said, it's an outward disease. We could clearly tell who had leprosy. The crowd do. It was a very noticeable skin disease that only affected the one who was infected by it, but, but also his social interaction stopped, and he was isolated. I mean, this was a pretty interesting study when you think about where it was in the times of the biblical days and then where it's come from, and, and we know a lot about leprosy today. It's, it's now called Hansen's disease. And to some degree, there, there's, there's some antibiotics, I guess, that stops this progression. It doesn't necessarily repair with the damage that leprosy has brought, but there's, there's this way that to attack the, the bacteria to, to make a person functioning again where he can be an integral part of society. But back then, they were an outcast. To put it simply, leprosy in the scriptures is something that the people of God had to deal with so much so that in Leviticus 13 and 14, there are mosaic laws of holiness of how to deal with them. God told the Israelites how to check about to see if they have leprosy. And so there's much to be looked at in light of the context where we find ourselves. What studies have shown us, however, is that leprosy attacks the nerves. It's pretty remarkable. I, mean, I used to think that leprosy was just something that your skin would just rot, things would fall off. But that's not necessarily the case. Leprosy has the, the, the disease of, of attacking your nervous system. It shuts it down. In other words, all your pain sensors, they're gone. If you think about that, God has been kind enough to give us pain sensors that when we touch something hot, we react to it and realize that's not a good thing. There are no pain sensors for the body to relay to the brain to stop doing what you're doing and hurting yourself. And so there's, there's accounts of individuals who, who, who would be even raking the, the, the yard or something like that, and, and they, they would just work their hands. We would get blisters. What do we do? We stop. We go get gloves. We do something differently, something as simple as a blister. They have no concept. They continue with the task until it's done, and they do it without any realizing that their body is in pain. By the way, it is painful to rake leaves isn't it? <laughs> but it's such a disease that attacks the nerves that the skin has no response when it's in pain. They would cause great harm to themselves, such the case that they would lose fingers. Their skin would, would, in essence, kind of wouldn't have the ability to, to, to function and, and have its ability to, to cure or heal itself. We know, according to, to Leviticus, you know, there's, there was a great concern of looking at how the skin was, was going about. And so they would often be checked by the priest, and they would definitely make sure that they were okay to be able to function around other people. If not, they were quarantined, and then if they had a disease, they were ostracized. They had 
no feeling. The bacteria destroys the eyes, it affected their skin. It's kind of remarkable to me because even Leviticus draws this out and, and says this is how you're going to deal with one who is a leprous man or person. Look at the screen. Here's some of, a couple of scriptures out of Leviticus 13 dealing with this. It says he is a leprous man. In other words, if he's, if he's diagnosed as being one who has a skin disease, and then it adds he is unclean. The priest shall surely pronounce him unclean. His affection is on his head. As for the leper who has the infection, his clothes shall be torn. In other words, they gave him his attire for the rest of his life. As for the leper who has the infection, his clothes shall be torn, and the hair of his head shall be uncovered, and he shall cover his mustache and cry, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean all the days during which he has the infection. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside of the camp. I mean, the disease would go from, from roughly 10 to 30 years, and the victims, they lost things constantly. And they find out that, that there's no resistance to other diseases. That's usually what, what ended up killing them, is the fact that they couldn't fight off bacteria and viruses. What's interesting to me back then, they thought it was very highly contagious. What we know today is that it's not necessarily contagious, but it is transmitted by, by inhaling the bacteria into your lungs and, and thus affecting your nervous system. It's interesting to me, just in, even looking at some of that stuff, that, that they say it started and came from Egypt, uh, encompassed in, in, in a mummy, and, and just kind of an interesting study. If you love that stuff, I can point you to some more um, material to, that kind of gets you a better picture of what was going on with all that. I looked up the figures of how it affects us today. There's roughly about 200,000 people that have leprosy in our world today. That was according to 2019. By the grace of God, like I said, it can be treated. Not cured, but treated. The problem is damage most likely was already done. So here you have this man who hears that Jesus is healing people with all sorts of diseases. And he defies his outcast status and he runs to Christ. I mean, you think if you put your heart in, in the mindset of who this guy is, I mean, he is so set on seeing Christ thinking this can be my hope. This could be my healing and so this is what we picked up this narrative in verse 40. You see the courage of the leper. Look again at verse 40. It says, and, the, and a leper came to Jesus. And look what he does. He says he's beseeching him. And he falling on his knees before him and saying, if you are willing, you can make me clean. This is a pretty interesting statement. And all that he does. The leper comes with, with a purpose. He's, he no doubt probably is shouting unclean as he's moving his way to the crowd, the people recognized them. I'm pretty sure they gave him an open way to get to Christ. But he's coming. And he approaches Jesus with the sense of humility. 
Even though he beseech him, he's coming, he's falling on his knees. Luke talks about his, this, this prostrate aspect of worship. He's bowing in worship to what he knows God to be, Jesus to be. Luke 5.12 reminds us that he was full of leprosy. It was very noticeable that he was a walking zombie. His body, no doubt, was falling apart. Open sores, things oozing out, and he runs to Christ. Now, I think it's important to understand, as much as we see the courage of this leper, can you imagine what the crowd is thinking? As this man approaches Christ, no doubt they're in shock. What would Jesus do as as this man approaches him? By the way, he's not supposed to be there. Levitical law put him outside the city walls. And if they did make their way around people, they had to shout that they were unclean. Reading on account... The rabbis, or how they would do with them. If, if a leper came near a synagogue, he would be rejected and he would be sent to a small holding room until he could be addressed later. But this leper comes to Jesus through a crowd. He's de- desperate, but yet he's full of hope. And notice in verse 40, he came beseeching which literally means that he's begging for mercy. He's pleading for it. His approach was humble, but yet he's he's got a great concern on his soul. And he was falling on his knees before him. And so here he had a a very humble approach. He's, He's recognizing that he is without hope. And he falls on his face. It's interesting, Luke adds something else to this scene. Luke adds that he said, Lord, in his beseeching. Which gives you some indication, did he he know that he was the Messiah? Did he know that he definitely knew that he had some kind of divine touch? Did he know that he was the Messiah? Scripture doesn't tell us that. But what I think is interesting that his body language does. He comes at the mercy of the feet of Christ. He was willing to risk it all, the shame, the embarrassment, the the disdain to go where he was never supposed to go. I mean, that's how desperate his heart was. And he was confident that he was going to the right place, that Jesus had this, this power. Word had gotten out. Miracles had been known. And so he had great confidence in Jesus' power. And then he says something pretty remarkable here. Look at the end of verse 40. He said to him, if you are willing, you can make me clean. He has no doubt in Jesus' power. The only thing he didn't know, if Jesus would do it. 
And even in that, that statement, he understands the, the, the deity of God or the sovereign power of God that God has the right to heal or not heal. He's not impeding on the sovereignty of God here. He is hoping for, for mercy and for cleansing. He's understand that he's cursed. We'll get to that a little bit later. It's interesting to me when you think about leprosy, uh, often that is seen as a judgment of the hand of God upon a person. He understands he can be, uh, uh, rightly so, probably be in the state for the rest of his life. Notice as he doesn't go to him and he says, Jesus, I claim you and the power and your power to cleanse me and I command you to, 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 to cleanse me. He comes with humility. All that to say, he doesn't name it and claim it. He rightly understands Christ's divinity, his sovereignty, knowing that God is going to do what best gives him glory. Which, by the way, beloved, I think this gives us a little insight when we think about all kinds of sicknesses. We're at the mercy of God in that, are we not? If God heals, he receives the glory. If God does not heal, he sustains you in sicknesses for his purposes, and he still receives the glory. God will do according to his sovereign will, and that which will give him the most glory. And so, this is not selfish ambition. This is a divine reality that he comes to Jesus and he says, if you're willing, you can make me clean. I mean, he's confident that Jesus has the ability to do it. And then what follows is what's often the joy of knowing our Savior, the compassion that comes from Christ. We see this in verse 41 and 42. Verse 41 says, moved with compassion. Literally, his, his inner bowels was moved to the compassion of the state of this leper. Moved with compassion, Jesus stretches out his hand and touched him. And Mark is, is important for us to understand, this is, he touched him. Remember, he was an outcast. The thought was that this could be Contagious. You kept them at a distance. Stretched out his hand. Touched him and he said, I am willing, be cleansed. Then verse 42, immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. I mean, Jesus felt the man's pain. He felt his suffering. He, he understood what he was, was going through. He understood his agony, his isolation, his physical distress. He understood all these things, he, that he was an outcast. He was a nobody, a throwaway. And Jesus reached out and touched him. And I think it's safe to say, Scripture points to this always, that God is a God full of compassion. This is the heart of God who feels the pain and suffering in the world. And when we get to the place where we look at Christ going to the cross, we understand fully 
his compassion for us as sinners. Compassion motivated him. The care of others motivated him. And Jesus stretches out his hand, touches him, and he says, I am willing. And then he commanded the leprosy to leave. Why is this so remarkable? Why does Mark point out the fact that he touched him? In light of Leviticus chapter 5, verses 2 and 3, look to the screen. You can see why this is so important. Levitical law says this, or if a person touches any unclean thing, whether a carcass of, of an unclean beast or a carcass of an unclean cattle, a carcass of unclean swarming things, though it is hidden from him and he is unclean, then he will be guilty. Or if he touches human uncleanliness, of whatever sort he, his uncleanliness may be, with which he becomes unclean, and it is hidden from him. And then he comes to know it, he will be guilty. Forbidden Levitical law to touch anything unclean, especially a leper. The crowd, no doubt, was probably processing this, thinking that now is Jesus unclean? Let me squash those thoughts real quick. The Bible is very clear. Jesus was completely holy. He never was defiled. There's no record of Scripture that Jesus had any illness himself. He was not under the depravity of man that you and I feel. He had a sinless body. He was clean to and throughout. Why? Because he was divine. Because he was God. The pushback might, well, he died of something, right? Listen, he went to the cross willingly. Scripture tells us that he laid down his life for us. He gives up his life for the sake of sinners. It wasn't that his sin killed him. It was the redemptive plan of God that he was willing to lay down his life for sinners. He is the righteous lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He wasn't affected. But do you think the leper was affected? Absolutely he was. Absolutely he was. So in his love for this man, he responded with divine power. And verse 42 says immediately, the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. I mean, this was obvious, right? The crowd, in their fear, watching this interaction, seeing now this man cleansed, it was definitely obvious to the man who was healed. The crowd saw all of this take place. And I think what's remarkable about this, the creator, in his kindness, probably no doubt, even restored the man to fullness. If he was missing limbs, I bet he healed them all. 
and brought them back. You talk about the joy. I think it also gives us an understanding of why he says, oh yeah, you tell me not to go talk to anybody about this. I got to tell people about this. I once was a leopard. Now I am clean. I'm whole. Jesus has no limitations when it comes to his healing power. He touched, he commanded him to be cleansed. He was healed. The man was restored. It's almost like he never had the disease before. I mean, you talk about power or even creation obeys at the command of a word. This is our Lord. Jesus, our only true healer, who is divine and creation, bows at his command. All this happened instantly. And it happened all before their eyes. It's a pretty remarkable narrative. We've seen the courage of the leopard, we've seen the compassion of Christ. And now what follows is that Jesus is still focused. I mean, this is what's so interesting to me. He's still concentrating on the role that God has sent him to come and do. Look at verse 43. And he sternly warned him and immediately sent him away. And he said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest. And offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded as a testimony to them. I mean, he's following Levitical law. He's telling them to go back to the priest. The priest would look at that. They would have already known that this guy had leprosy. And he says, go back. Do I think there's some irony here? I think so. I think the ones that wanted Jesus dead, the religious establishment of the day, he says, here's a miracle. And he puts him right in front of the priest's face and says, listen, I'm God. This man's cleansed. By the way, that was a way for this man to get back in society, his ability to go back to the temple, his ability to now be a functioning part of that society. But again, as I stated earlier, Jesus did not come just for solely for a healing ministry. He came for redemptive purposes. And early on in this public ministry, he's getting to that. He's leading to that. And so we saw already that he told the man with the unclean spirit, not to go and tell anybody. He told the demons to, to kind of shut their mouths. And a lot of that is because, one, he didn't want their testimony to be from demonic affirmation. But he was going to continue to teach. He was going to continue to point. He was going to continue to, to get to the place where it was time. And the gospel tells us exactly when that time is. That's what's so remarkable to me when you read the gospels is that often Jesus would slip and find himself away from the crowd. But when it was time, it was time. And he allowed himself to be captured because it was time. Jesus is going to teach that he didn't want all these healings to be the end of his ministry. He knew that the purposes of the crowd was to come to be healed. And everywhere he went, people gathered to be healed. 
But if your sole desire is only to be physically healed, you're missing the mark of the Messiah. You're missing the hope that the gospel brings. The gospel brings much more than just a physical healing. It brings a spiritual healing, a redemption, a reconciliation to a holy God. That's Jesus' point. I think it's kind of interesting to me, even as you read this narrative, here Jesus is in the city with the crowd, and the leper's outside of the crowd, and, and, and you almost get the sense that he, he's reversed roles here. Why? Verse 45, but he went out and began to proclaim it freely, this man who was cleansed, and to spread the news around to such an extent that Jesus could no longer publicly enter a city, but stayed out in unpopulated areas. Which, by the way, Mark says, and they were coming to him from everywhere. They sniffed him out. They found him. All this is underneath the divine plan of God. I read that kind of stuff. This is all God working, doing what is according to his will, according to his purposes. But what a miracle. What a power of display. And yet he's drawing their hearts to say that, you know what, you need more than physical healing. That man's going to die of something down the road. Now, you and I both know the end of the story. We understand why Christ has come and why he died and why he so much wanted to make sure that was the issue that people understood him to be. I said earlier, it's interesting to me how in the biblical times, God sometimes used leprosy as a judgment. We get this out of 2 Chronicles chapter 26. There's a pretty interesting account going on there. If you remember King Uzziah, starting in verse, let me just read some of this for you. 2 Chronicles 26, verse 16 starts, it says, but when he, speaking about King Uzziah, became strong, his heart was proud and that he acted corruptly, and he was unfaithful to the Lord and Lord is God. For he entered the temple of the Lord to, to, to burn incense on the altar of incense. And then Azariah, the priest, entered after him, and with him, 80 priests of the Lord, valiant men, they opposed Uzziah the king and said to him, it is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests the sons of Aaron who are consecrated to burn incense. Get out of the sanctuary, for you have been unfaithful and will have no honor from the Lord God. But Uzziah, with the censer in his hand for burning incense, was enraged. And while he was enraged with the priest, the leprosy broke out on his forehead before the priest in the house of the Lord beside the altar of incense. Azariah, the chief priest, and all the priests looked at him. Behold, he was leprous on his forehead, and they hurried him out of there. And he himself also hastened to get out, because the Lord had smitten him. King Uzziah was a leper to the day of his death, Scripture tells us. Judgment, proud, haughty, doing something that God not prescribed. God brought judgment by giving him leprosy. I mean, you think about this. In light of God using leprosy as a judgment in 2 Chronicles 26, it makes this all the more precious to us in Mark chapter 1. 
And you think about our own souls even in, in the light of our hearts being proud and being sinful, much like the, the leprosy and the disease that overcomes our own souls. And the beauty of this, Jesus knowing that the leper did not just need physical healing, he needed spiritual healing. And such is the case with you and me. I mean, you think about where you have been in your depravity. Your need to be cleansed? Huh. Absolutely, we need to be drenched by the grace and the forgiveness of Christ. We need a Savior. We need a Lord. We need somebody to save us. And the beauty is, is as we approach the Lord's table, that's what we remember as Christians. We remember that it was Christ who saved us. We remember that it was him who, who bore our sins on that cross and took the wrath of God, the penalty of our sins. He took it all. We remember that Jesus is the only one who can save us, who can redeem us, forgive us, and bring us to a holy God as one who has not sinned. For it is only in Christ's atonement at the cross, it's only in his resurrection and ascension can we be spiritually clean. I mean, I'm not trying to spiritualize the test, but this is where this is going. Christ is Lord and Savior. And that's what communion reminds us. And we're going to partake in this in just a second. But for the believer, our faith is in him and him alone. Our faith is in Christ. And that's why we remember and Christ institutes this ordinance for the church to remind themselves that, that he is king. And so we're going to do that. A couple of reminders before we go to the table. I want to remind you that the Lord's table is for believers. It's for those who have repented and put their faith in Christ. If you don't know Christ, I would just ask kindly that you allow these elements pass you by because they're not a substance to you. They're not, a, they're not meaningful to you. And I don't say that in a harsh way. I say that in the reality that the Lord's table is for those who, who have solely put their trust in Christ to save them. And so if you believe in Christ, you have turned from your sins and trusted him. We ask that you partake participate. But there's another exhortation that must be considered. I think of 1 Corinthians where it talks about that we must take this with a worthy manner, with a desire to honor the Lord, to understand the significance, to make sure that we're right with one another. And if you're not right with one another, I ask that you would humbly allow these elements to pass, even if you know Christ. Why? Because it's important that you get right with your brother and your sister before you partake in the unity of of communion. May I also say this, if you're outside of Christ, you're still in a leper state. You will die. And then the judgment. It's that simple.
what you heard this morning is that there's one who, re- who desires to, to show his power and to cleanse and to save and to redeem, and his name is Jesus. For you, my invitation is very clear. You repent and you come to Christ. Only there will you find forgiveness and grace that your soul needs for eternity. So in light of all this, let us prepare our hearts before we take the elements. I'm going to ask the men to come, worship team to come. But let us first prepare our souls to receive these elements. Let's pray silently. For the Lord's table is to to be embraced with one of, of hope, of surety, of truth. With unity in mind, we come knowing what these elements represent. It represents a Lord and a Savior who is King of kings and Lord of lords. We also come knowing that though we may be redeemed, we still sin. And yet your scriptures are so clear that it tells us in 1 John 1, 9 that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and righteous to to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Though we are justified with the blood of Christ, we continue on in this progress of sanctification to continue to be right and to continue to, to put off the old nature, the sin nature, and walk in the newness of life in Christ. Father, our desire is to be so conformed to your likeness that the world and the people around us, they see Christ and what we say and what we do. We know we're not perfect, but yet we know the one who is. And we submit our souls to him knowing that he is Lord and that he is king. So as we approach your table, may we do it with delight, knowing that you continue your perfect will within us, that you are continuing to transform us into your likeness, that you continue to draw us to your word. We know there's going to be a day where you will come back. And when you do, may you find us faithful, desiring to follow, proclaiming Christ to to the lost, living with hope. So have your, your way with us as we partake in an ordinance given to the church for the sake of lifting up and reminding us of the majestic nature of Christ. I pray in your son's name. Amen. And ask the men to pass the bread.
Thank you for listening to the Magic Valley Bible Church Sermon Podcast. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.mvbibletf.org or Facebook at facebook.com slash mvbible or YouTube at youtube.com slash mvbible.